Okay, right. Sorry to interrupt you there, having set you going. I noticed that the toy gun that I found on the floor last week and put here on the lectern is still here. So if anybody wants to claim the small toy gun, it's, it's here. I was excited this morning to go onto Facebook and see a video of people rushing into the sea for the Iron Man. And of course, Steve Hunter's name was there. Go, Steve, I thought. And then I realized, of course, he was the one doing the videoing. Steve is one of our elders, if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, with the elders here, and Mick, who's away in Bridport, is the other, other elder. So welcome this morning, if you're a visitor or a regular, I see some familiar faces here, which is always good to see a few familiar faces, at least I'm in the right place. So Steve said, I'm finishing off the book of Philippians. We've been going through Philippians for the last few months, and with other stuff mixed in amongst it. And I've been given the privilege of finishing off the book of Philippians for us. But before that, I want to tell you about Toastmasters. Now, some of you laugh when, you, when I say that because you're familiar. I go on about Toastmasters quite a lot. I was at Toastmasters this week. And Toastmasters, public speaking group that we do, and it was a competition. It was a humorous speech competition. And one of the ladies... Sorry, trying to work this out. One of the ladies was given a humorous speech, and she's an older lady. And as she started, it became clear that, somewhat unexpectedly for this rather well-spoken lady, it was going to be a bit close to the mark. There was a bit of innuendo in there. And there's me as a good Christian thinking, should I laugh at the funny bits? Because some of the funny bits, well, they actually are quite funny, but they're also a bit rude. So is it appropriate for me as a Christian to actually laugh at those things? And then look at my wife, who's stony-faced all the way through. She is clearly a very good Christian. She has got this sorted. But there's me. That was really quite funny. I know it's rude and I shouldn't laugh. And that's not my sort of humor, really. But and I've come to realize that over the last few years, and by few years, I mean since I became a Christian, so 30-something odd like that, I've often in situations grappled with, how should I behave? How should I be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? It's quite easy to do Christian, you know, go to church, pray, say the right things. But what does it mean to be a Christian? And it's not just in that context, in many other contexts as well. I used to write stories when I was a sort of teenager, and, uh, and I wrote lots of science fiction and fantasy stories. But as I sort of established my Christian faith in my late teens, I thought, well, there's no God in these stories. Is it right for me to write a story in an environment where there's no reference to religion at all? Because does that mean that I'm promoting a world where religion's a bit old hat and we don't do religion anymore? Would I bring Jesus into it? Well, that's a bit cheesy, isn't it, potentially? Or do I talk about other religions? Well, no, I can't. And again, this whole thing about, well, as a writer, how do I incorporate my Christian faith into what I do? What does it mean to be a Christian? And that's something that I've really grappled with over the years. And I know it's been a challenge for Rachel, too, in her writing. She writes, how much of her Christian faith should she inject into her writing? So what does it mean to be a Christian? And Paul's letter to the Philippians talks about this a lot. And I was reflecting on the last section of uh, Philippians. 
that I was given. And it talks particularly about being content in all circumstances. Being content in all circumstances. Hang on, Andrew, you're talking about the verses and we haven't read them yet. There's a reason for that. Because I thought, well, how can Paul be content in all circumstances? Now, let's be clear there. Paul, uh, we have to be careful not to mis 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 misinterpret Scripture. Paul is very much talking about physical circumstances. He's talking about his, his, you know, whether he's hungry or whether he's well-fed, whether he's comfortable or not, whether he's in prison or not, that he, he's content in all circumstances. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about there. But that got me thinking about, well, those times when I am not content, some of the ones I've just described to you. We are human beings. We are human beings. Often, from a Christian point of view, we look at ourselves and what we do, our doings. We're not human doings. We are human beings. What's, what's, in, what's inside us? And as I read what Paul was saying there about comfort in all being content in all circumstances, that led me back into the earlier parts of Philippians. Because that being content in all circumstances, I mean, that can, bit, that can sound a bit sort of, I don't know, that sounds a bit like something you read on Facebook. Do you see these things on Facebook where it says, I am all that I need. I am everything that I could possibly need for myself. And I see people giving advice to each other. Don't worry about this situation. You've got everything you need within yourself. Is it just me who sees these things on Facebook? Yeah, other people see them. I even see Christians sharing these, these memes you make about, you know, spread a bit of karma and all the rest of it. I think, well, actually, it's probably not wise for us to use that sort of language and to talk about this sort of, um, uh, self-reliance, because what Paul's there is talking about when he's content in all circumstances, he's not talking about self-reliance, he's talking about Jesus. And he's referring back to the rest of the letter. I thought, well, it's important then we refer back to the rest of the letter. And whenever we go through a letter like Philippians, we do it chunk by chunk by chunk by chunk, which is great. But that's not how the Philippians heard it. The Philippians heard it from start to finish. There were no chapter breaks. There were no verses. So this morning, we're going to start, or I'm going to start, by reading to you Philippians. Feel free to listen. We won't put the, uh, the verses up on the screen. Feel free to listen. I'll be using the, uh, the latest NIV version, the 2011 edition. Feel free if you want to concentrate to close your eyes. I often close my eyes when people are preaching. It means I'm listening really hard. Okay? So, no, you're welcome to close your eyes. You know, and I'll pray in just a moment before I read through. Yeah, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read through the whole of the book of Philippians. I practiced, so I'll know that you'll get out by lunchtime. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, and we thank you that we can learn so much through your word. We thank you for the book of Philippians. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us with Paul's writings. And we want to come now. We want to hear you speaking to us, Lord, through this book. I pray that you'll speak to us. There's many different things in this book, Lord. I pray that we all speak to us individually through that, that which you want us to hear. Amen. So, so I'm going to read the book of Philippians to you now. If I stop halfway through, it means the technology has done something unexpected. Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, 
together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in depth and in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they, that they will be destroyed, 
but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, the, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service to your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks to his own, out to his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not, 
on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and this is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on law, faultless. But, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us, let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. But even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So there we are. That's the full letter to Philippians.
And I said I read that because I, there's so much in there. I, I drew out points as I went through when I was preparing this about this whole point. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'll just check, actually. I mean, am I the only one who grapples with this? Is it just me? Or is, it, is this, you know, is this something that... I mean, maybe you're all good Christians and you're all happy, you're all perfectly comfortable in all of this. So, But for me, what does it mean? It's been a constant challenge for my life. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's a journey. And Paul addresses so much of this in the letter of the Philippians. I came up with 20-something points at least. I stopped at that. And I could have gone more. And I said to Rachel, how do you think they'll feel about a 25-point sermon? I take a lot of advice from my wife. He's very wise. So I, I culled it down to... Three key points, just what I want to talk to in the, in the minutes that we've got. And look at this, I've also got a screen down here. So, what does it mean to be a Christian? For three key points. And I'm going to talk about our outer life, the life that we live outside, the life that you see. You only see my outer life. You cannot see my inner life. I can see my inner life. You can see your own inner life. Sometimes it makes no sense, my own inner life, but there we are. I try as far as I can to portray an outer life that makes some sort of sense. So we're going to talk about your, our outer life and what Paul talks about the Philippians about our outer life as Christians. Then I'll talk about our inner life. And then I'm going to talk about our future life. Three key points that Paul refers to. Just, just pulling out some of the, the, um, the points that Paul has made as he's gone through this letter. And it all comes back to this being content. I'm content in all circumstances, but I can only be content in all circumstances because of what Jesus has done for me and has expressed in my inner life, my recognition of what Jesus has done, and in my outer life, how I live that. So let's look at the first point. Partnership in the gospel. So Paul talks in the start of Philippians about the Philippians being partners in the gospel, and he comes back to that at the end in these last few verses of Philippians as I've read through them. And the Philippians, as he says, they've sent him money. They've sent him gifts, and they've supported him when other churches didn't. And Paul had this particularly positive relationship with the Philippian church. They were partners in the gospel. They were partners together. And to me, that's a very strong reminder that we do not do our Christian faith alone. We don't work out our Christian faith alone. We work it out in partnership with others. Paul worked out his faith with others, with Timothy, with those who are around him, but also with the churches as well. It was, it was much more than just... You know, people. There are some people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be involved in a, in a church community. One of our daughters for a while lived in a shared house uh, in Bristol with a group of other Christians. And I think some some of those young people there felt that just the people in their house was enough. They didn't actually need to get involved in a local church as well. We would maybe take issue with that. You You need to be part of a Christian community. So Paul was very much in partnership with the Philippians. And we're also partners with Jesus. If I just skip back here to... Chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus reached out and took Paul. 
Right at the start, James referenced that you know, we're here because God has chosen us. We don't think we're any more special than those out there who aren't currently Christians, because God may well have chosen them and it's not their time yet. We don't know. But God chose. Jesus reached out to Paul. Paul had a very tangible example of that, of course, on the road to Damascus. Jesus came to him. But we've all had that in some measure. My own journey to becoming a Christian, I've no idea when I became a Christian. Well, I have an idea. It was sometime between the age of about 12 and 13, 14. At some point, I became a Christian. But it was a, it was a journey over a period of months of talking to people and actually this whole thing about Jesus and dying and, and turning to him and repenting and saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. That happened over a period of time. I can't put my finger on a specific date, whereas others can. But it's a partnership. Jesus called us. But then he also calls us to work with him and to partner with him and to going on. He calls us to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Paul talked about that in the early section of Philippians, didn't he? It's part of this partnership. It's, God could just come down and blast everyone and say, look, guys, I'm God. All the rest of this stuff, you're wrong. I'm here. Boom. He could do that. But he chooses not to. He chooses to partner with us. And as Paul talks about how what has happened to him when he's in prison has actually emboldened other Christians to preach and to share the gospel. Not necessarily preach like going out street corners or whatever, but certainly being willing to share the gospel, not being shy about their faith. Margaret talked earlier on about the training day we had a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Russell, actually, rather than Simon. Was there a Simon here as well? I think it was, it was Russell who was leading the, the, the training um, that we had a couple of weeks ago. But he gave us some useful tools for helping to explain the gospel. You know, we're encouraged to always have an answer for, what, for, for why you believe. Do you have an answer? That's part of that partnership. And it's good for us. This game, we're talking about our outer life here. It's good for us to be sharing the gospel. It's an opportunity for us to talk about Jesus. Builds our own faith. Fill your minds with good thoughts. This came towards the end of chapter four. And these, these are verses that, the middle of chapter four, and these are verses that I particularly uh, like and, and often hang on to. Um, chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I'm going to talk about the inner life in a minute. This is, the, uh, is this about inner life or is this about outer life? Well, it, it's, to be honest, it crosses over both. But we choose what to take in to ourselves. And that, in turn, influences what comes out of us. What sort of things do you think about? Where do you allow your mind to go? What sort of things do you allow yourselves to read or to watch? Should I put my fingers in my ears at Toastmasters when the speech, the slightly, slightly dodgy speech was going on? We don't normally do things like that at Toastmasters, by the way. It's not normally like that at all. Um, but there we are. Uh, Sorry, slightly different from my notes, but there we are. What's the third point? Rejoice in the Lord. 
in your outer life, do you rejoice in the Lord? Could people look at you and say, this person rejoices in the Lord? Does Andrew exude rejoicing in the Lord? Or is he a bit of a moaner? Does he grumble a lot? Talks about that as well, doesn't he? Paul says, don't, don't, you don't argue and grumble. Is he always on a bit of a downer? Is he always talking about himself and all his problems? You're starting to recognize me, aren't you, in this? I know. But, but yeah, it's, it's, do we rejoice in the Lord? Are we looking and sharing with others about the good things that God has done? Are we willing to come to the front, as some people did, Fred and Margaret did this morning, and to give a testimony and say, yeah, God's doing good stuff in my life? Yeah, they've got issues, but God's doing good stuff. Are we happy to share that? Again, this is part of our outer life. Do your non-Christian friends see you as somebody who rejoices in the Lord? Now, not necessarily in a really extreme, happy, clappy, um, Jesus loves you all the time point of way, but you know, but someone who's positive and who's, but also who's willing to pray for people. You know, there are people here, um, I know in this church, who are quite happy and quite willing, quite often do pray for other people, for friends and, and, and others that they meet. And we may think that's a bit weird. Again, we were encouraged to do that as part of the, uh, the evangelism thing that we had a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, and some of those people we spoke to, I went out on the streets, and some of them were quite, oh, no, none of that, please. I'm not religious. But actually, there are quite a lot of people out there who are happy to be prayed for, people you may have relationships with. So what does it mean to be a Christian? These are just some of the points about our outer life that I've drawn out of Philippians. So let's talk now about our inner life, because our outer life is fed by our inner life. You know, Jesus talked about what goes in. It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. Well, obviously, he talked about things that you watch and all the rest of it. That's not healthy, necessarily, because it affects your inner life. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean, says Jesus. And some points about our inner life as Christians. They say this is the life that nobody else can see. Do we consider everything lost for the sake of Christ? You know, Paul talks about that. I consider everything loss. He describes the fact that he is he's a super Jew. You know, he is the top of the top. He's a Pharisee. He's really good at the law. He, he's, he's been diligent. He's persecuted Christians. You know, he did everything you could possibly do to get right. He was of the right tribe. But he counted all of that as loss. He put no value whatsoever in those things. We consider everything in our lives a loss. Not that we consider it, and Paul talks about it, he considers it garbage. I mean, he says it's cause of garbage, so that's the lowest of the low. That's really rubbish. That, that's, that's as bad as it can get. That's the difference between what Jesus has done for me and the rest of my life, all the things I've achieved in my life. That's not to say that he doesn't use those things still. I mean, yeah, he was a Roman citizen, and when he was locked up, he was quite quick to say to the authorities, by the way, you shouldn't have done that. I'm a Roman citizen. So although that was part of his who he was, he was not afraid to use that when appropriate. But being a Roman citizen, being a Jew, all of that, in, in comparison with what Jesus has done for him, it's rubbish. Knowing Christ is everything. Is that where we are in our lives? Go the right way, Andrew. Fill your minds with good thoughts. Okay, so I've obviously missed up my slides ever so slightly here, and I'm saying I'm repeating the point that I made earlier on because I said this particular thing about whatever you think about, 
That is very important. And it applies both to your outer life and your inner life. Fill your minds with good thoughts. Think about things that are pure, lovely, admirable. It bears repeating because it's so important. I said it's one of those verses that I go back to on a regular basis. Conscious my wife's in the room here at this point, but I'm a man, and men's minds do quite often wander in certain directions. If you're a man here, you probably know what I'm talking about. And it, this is a useful verse in that context. You know, should I be thinking about this? Let's, yeah, and we live in the seaside town, so you walk along the seafront, and sometimes you see a little bit more than really you wanted to see, to be honest. Whatever is noble, whatever is... Excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. It's a very practical tip. And being content with whatever the circumstances. Are you content with your circumstances? So Paul was talking very specifically about his circumstances in terms of hunger or being well fed. It's that contentment in circumstances. And it's not this... I'm, I'm content because I'm able to rise above it. In fact, the language that Paul uses here is the language of the Stoics. So the Stoics were sort of Greek thinkers who were sort of, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I am above all of that. They were able to separate themselves from their circumstances. So he's deliberately using that language. We don't recognize it because obviously we're not, I didn't read it in the original Greek. Apologize, by the way, if anybody wanted it in the original Greek. Sorry about that. Paul's using their language, the, the language of self-sufficiency. But he goes on to say, doesn't he? I'm content in all circumstances. But how am I content in all circumstances? I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, in living in plenty or want. What's the secret? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can't do it by myself. I'm not self-sufficient. Jesus, I do it all because you give me strength. And finally, just quickly, talk there about our inner life and some of the points about being a Christian from our inner life. Our future life. There's some great verses here in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Do you live your life remembering, being in mind of the fact that your citizenship is in heaven? It's so easy to get stuck into the things of this life, isn't it? And, and to get weighed down by the cares of this life. We are in this world, but not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul wants to know the power of his resurrection. Talking obviously here about Jesus. And verse 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The somehow there is not, well, I might somehow get resurrected or whatever. Well, it, it, it's, it's, I know that Jesus, I'm sharing in the power of Jesus' resurrection, and I will be raised again with Jesus. I don't know how that will happen. That's what Paul's saying with the somehow, but it will happen. I'm a citizen of heaven, and I will live again. I will live forever, and our bodies will be transformed. There's that great verse there, our lowly bodies. Those of us who... And we sang the song earlier on about freedom, and I was thinking, well, actually, you know, I feel pretty free anyway without all this God stuff. You know, I'm, I'm healthy. You know, I've got reasonably financially secure, and I've got a good family. And yeah, my life, to be honest, is really quite 
I'm, I'm pretty free. I don't have any issues. But for most people, that's not the case. And, you know, I suspect at some, at some point health is going to come along and, get, and, and niggle me at some point and say, Andrew, you're not as young as you used to be, and here's a little issue or two. But we're going to have bodies that will be transformed. That's an exciting prospect for me, at least. So that's our future life. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Just talked very quickly about some of the thoughts that Paul is giving to us as Christians. I'm conscious I'm talking to a room where prob probably you're all Christians. You've all been at different points in your faith journey. Maybe some of you aren't Christians. There's one or two maybe who aren't. But this equally applies. So this is how... What it's, this is just some of the insights into what, it's, what it means to be a Christian. Not to do Christian, to be Christian. That internal life. And as I said, that internal life, which I, I still wrestle with myself. I'm on a journey. Paul talks about being on a journey. Learning to be content, whatever the circumstances, because our identity is in Jesus. That, for me, is the summary of what I'm taking away from this. Learning to be content, whatever the circumstances, because my identity, your identity, is in Jesus. I want to read something to you. I, I, from, uh, this came across my Facebook literally yesterday. Um, Again, talking about this whole thing about what, what's going into your mind. You know, I don't know what you see on Facebook, but um, you know, I, I make point of trying to follow things that are encouraging. And one of the things I follow is Christianity Today. It's American, apologies. But, uh, um, but they're forever putting useful articles up. And there's a testimony that came up yesterday. It caught my eye. I don't read everything they put up, but it caught my eye. Um, and I read it, and I thought, actually, you know what? I'm going I'm to read out the end of this um, tomorrow, being today now. And you'll see why in a moment. So this is a young man. He's a, I'd say he's a nobody. Obviously, no one's a nobody. He's important in God's eyes. Um, but he's not anyone particularly. He's not a particular preacher or anything like that. He's just, but he's shared his testimony through Christianity Today. Became a Christian around about 25 in the middle of a music concert. And he says in the article, he suddenly realized that in this music concert um, where he was doing drugs, and he said that he suddenly realized that what he was doing was worship, but it wasn't worshiping God. He'd been talking to Christians beforehand. So, so he had a conversion experience of, of realizing what he was doing was not worshiping God, but worshiping something else through the way he lived his life. And he writes this at the end of the article. I never understood the importance of identity before becoming a Christian. I had spent my life searching for meaning in a million different places. School, career, girls, popularity, money. I got my identity through what other people thought of me, which made me incredibly insecure. I was haunted by a fear that I was never good enough. I struggled with anxiety and depression and used drugs and alcohol as an escape. About nine months after my conversion, I was praying for a friend struggling through a breakup. I told him that his identity didn't come from a woman and that his life had meaning, whether he was in a relationship or not. All of a sudden, I realized I was talking to myself. It didn't matter whether I had a successful career, a wife, kids, a lot of money. None of those things defined who I was. My identity came from Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. 
In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Once I internalized those words, I was free. Learn to be content in all circumstances. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't be content to just do Christian. I know many of you and I know many of the things that you do and I'm sure that you don't just do Christian. But sometimes, even those who have been Christians a long time, it can be easy to do Christian from time to time and to lose track, perhaps, of being Christian. Keep pressing on into being Christian. Grasp the reality of what Jesus has done for you in here. Grasp the reality inside and allow that to determine how you live your life. Let that reality inside, your inner life, determine how you live your outer life for Christ. That's what Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do through that whole letter. Be equipped by that knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for you so that you can be content in all circumstances. And then you will be able to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, as Paul says in that letter. And that fear and trembling is, it's, it's a, what's fear and trembling? It's about reverence and about acknowledging our weakness. Fear, God is sovereign. Trembling, our weakness. If you want prayer for anything, if, if anything I've said this morning has struck a chord and you would like prayer, then feel free to come after once we've finished. Um, I'll have, hand over to James in just a moment to, to wrap up. You okay with that, James? Yeah. Um, but feel free to, yeah, to come and Steve will pray, myself, others will pray for you. We're, we're, so we want to do, we want to allow God to intervene in our lives and prayer is how that happens. Well, all I can do is finish with the words of Paul at the end of Philippians to remind us all that my God will, will meet my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.